Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, a show about business building and insights into some really cool beverages. We hear stories about business, talk business strategy, and chat about tasting notes. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and today on the show, we have Stokeland Winery, specifically owner Deepa Lau, and we have Lauren here as well. Lauren, um, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank and you. What's your full name? Uh, Lauren Dorman. Lauren Dorman and Deepa Lau. Is that correct? Correct. Um, okay. So Deepa, this has been um, in progress here for a long time. Correct. Um, and part of the reason why some of that delay was because of the business building process. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about you for a second. Um, what is the story behind Deepa? Where do you originate from? What type of work did you start in um, that has kind of brought us to where we are today? You know, this has been such an interesting journey. Where I came from and where I am today. Four years ago, in fact, I was telling Lauren today, my past life was four years ago. Today, it's a new life. The day Stokeland was born. Mm. Everything is Stokeland for me from now on. Uh, in the past, uh, I did all kinds of jobs, I, including I had a business uh, in the tile marble granite. Mm. I loved it, enjoyed it, uh, till I found Stokeland, found the farm, saw the grapes. Mm. That's when the passion, which I never had, came. And I, from what I've I've been reading, there's even a, a deeper connection on some of this stuff, like the background story yes. um, with the the Quaker uh, Samuel yes, Stokes. Absolutely, um, that that's a that is an amazing story of coincidence, of how, for me as an immigrant woman, forty years later, I find my soul here in Stockholm. Uh, I grew up in Simla, and. The most famous family in Simla were the Stokes. Who were the Stokes? Samuel Stokes came over a hundred years ago, and he was the man who got apples to India. Hmm. And we all know that. And so the orchards, the apples. And when I came to Stokeland and I asked the lady, I said, where did you get this name from? Stokeland. She said that it belongs to a English family called the Stokes. The connection was unbelievable, so strong as it Stokes. Hmm. So they are Quakers. She said, yes, they are Quakers. And I said, obviously, they had a missionary, somebody in the family. That night, I called up my Stokes friend back home in Simla and asked her where her grandfather came from. She was very amused after 30 years of calling to inquire about her grandfather, actually quite livid. She says, oh, I don't know, about 35, 40 minutes from Philadelphia. I said, Dundee, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe that I am standing here with this history. Mm. Stokeland is my, Stokes, a part of my past. And here I am. This is a beautiful house. This is, you know, and I see a beautiful future, but a very simple, small family. Mm. It's it's really interesting because I think a lot of people might look at something like that and just say, "Oh, it's a coincidence." It, yes, which it, it might be, but at the same time, it seems like you had some of the foresight to really pull on that you and know, inquire about it and push further on that for this ideal. 
yes and no. Then I have another very strange story. I'm talking to a very new winemaker who's smiling when I, we talk about Simla. This is about three and a half years ago. And I said, have you heard of Simla? He says, yes, he's a, a Englishman. He says, yes, everybody knows Simla because the Simla was the summer capital of the British. Hmm. And he smiled and he told me that my grandfather was a colonel in Simla. Hmm. I could not believe it. I said, what? He said, yes. I said, and he says he's told us up team stories of Simla. It was like a done deal with him too. Hmm. He had to be at Stokeland. And then he tells me that his uh, aunt, his youngest aunt was born in Simla and they called her Myra. My granddaughter's name is Myra. A Rose is Myra. Hmm. So there's so much of connection. There's so much of interrelation in this whole process. It's almost as if it was meant to be. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think a lot of business owners at a time, they'll develop this inclination to kind of, to know when to go after certain ideas. And it seems like this one really uncovered itself very well for you as far as a, a, a string to pull on it. Very true. Absolutely. Having no expertise, no background, th things just rolled in and they kept unfolding. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's actually, I think it's a good time if you want to dive into um, the thing you prepared, because I think uh, this is something that Deepa um, prepared for us about Stokeland and what it is and why they started. And I think for a lot of people who, are, who have that entrepreneurial spirit or want to try something, uh, take close listen to this because it shows that you know you don't always have to have ex super experience in some of these areas, um, and you can really dive in if you believe enough in an idea. So, Deepa. Thank you. So, Stokeland Estate Winery is a small family-owned boutique winery. We started this winery without ever having farmed in our lives, a day in our lives, or ever having making, you know, made a bottle of wine. When we acquired this property, this beautiful house was there. The beautiful countryside was there. We did this winery as a way to change our lives, mm -hmm. not to work less, but to work harder. But as a reward, we are creating something very beautiful to share with our community, with our friends, with our family. And that is a big motivation for us because that drives us to, you know, our, our attitude towards the people who work at Stokeland, mm -hmm. our guests who come at Stokeland. They are both, you know, like our friends and family. That's how we treat them. Mm. Uh, something down the road, down the years, I can look forward to. I wake up every day in the morning very happy. When I look at the farm and something I can take pride in, and most importantly, something as a family we do together. It has connected a family so much, made us stronger, and we have something very lovable called Stokeland. Very simple. Mm. You said some a few interesting things there. The, the work harder proposition. Yes, it's something that um, we don't see very much, especially as people 
get older in age, if they're in their 50s or 60s, their 70s, they're looking to this point where they stop working. But it's like you've kind of turned that on its head and been like, listen, I've done a, a whole lifetime of work here, but I want to continue to work harder. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like a, an interesting proposition, especially for people in the United States. You have that's an excellent observation, Kaitri. One thing against me is my age, but one thing which nobody understands, the people who see me here, I work very hard. I don't know where I get the energy from. <laughs> I, I can attest to that. You're you're probably hard to track down. <laughs> you know, no, I work very hard, full of life. It is always anticipation, and I'm working with the best group of people. And here, this is where Lauren comes in. She's that transition. So I am totally very relaxed, very peaceful, and just go about doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so this is good time to bring Lauren into the conversation here. So Lauren, what what are what's your position here at, at Stoke? So we always laugh that my official title is general manager, but my unofficial title is coordinator of chaos. <laughs> so, but in the best way, um, I take that job very seriously and, you know, it's a small business and for people who are listening and and you can certainly understand, you know, businesses, you in a small business, you wear a lot of hats. Mm. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things going on. And my job was to take um, this amazing business that she has built with her family and then figure out a way to sort of make it successful. Mm. Um, so to take sort of all the ideas and the vision, which when we met the very first time, we sat and talked for eight hours. I think it was something like that. Yes. Um, we watched the sun go down as we were talking <laughs> and um, we sort of laughed about it, but I got the vision for what she was trying, trying to create immediately. And I think even upon joining, I I know sort of intuitively what she wants the winery to be and how she wants things to be. And I just kind of carry that on through um, the experiences that people have when they come here. So I, I, I love it. I think for me, just like her, I'm lucky in that I love what I do and I get to come to work every day and really enjoy what I do. I've been in the wine industry in some facet for over 20 years, but I just absolutely love being at the winery. Um, yeah. So every time I've come here, um, I've always feel like I'm jumping in on like a family meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it feels like. You're always at the kitchen table, just bantering. You know what I mean? There's a lot of ideas that come <laughs> out of that table. Let me tell you. That's and I, I have to say, this is probably one of the um, best operations I've seen as far as ideas being constantly thrown around. You know, sometimes people get too into the day-to-day -day or, hey, we have to get this done, but there's no... Um, there's no throwing around of ideas. And so things inevitably, either they go stale or they go get off track or whatever. But when you have this constant innovation, it keeps things fresh, lively. And it's, I think it's a really good atmosphere. Yeah. And, and we that's sort of how most of the things come to fruition, I think. She has an idea. I have an idea. And we sort of talk through them. We figure out how they're going to work. What does it look like? You know, How will we execute it? How will we make sure it's the best thing for our guests when they come out? Because at Stokeland, we're all about the experience. So her tagline, which I think is beautiful, is come for the wine, stay for the experience. Mm. So we want people to want to be here, to to come out, to be loyal customers, to visit us frequently, to see what we have going on. That's part of the experience. We want it to feel like family. We want people to feel um, comfortable and welcomed when they're here. So that's a big part of what we do. So when we're thinking about these ideas, it's 
how are we going to execute it? What's it going to look like? What's the food? What's the wine going to be like? So all of these things we think about because we want it to have a wow factor. Yeah. It's an interesting. Um... Do you hear the passion? In <laughs> I, I do. I do. I and can see why you brought her on. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and that's the passion for Stokeland. Yep. It, it's a and, very and, and um, that it, that passion will drive us to that wow factor. Yes, yes, I totally agree. It's an interesting dichotomy because we spoke about this briefly before we came on. Uh, when I first got here, was um, you know things are busy, things are exciting, but they're also very chaotic. But that's also part of the allure. At the same time, you know, it'd be great, you know, if things were just you know, doing awesome right from the get go, but it wouldn't have quite the same charm as if it, it had that struggle to get there. Um, and I think yes. that's even what somewhat you alluded to in your. Um, your statement there is is the struggle. It's like having there. There's true growth in in struggle. So having a family together and working through something. Yes, you tend to come out better on the other side, um, more whole, more um, more close. Um, but no, I, I really do sense that here. So it's it's really cool to see it in action. The winery was never bought as a sense of luxury. We we've never worked so hard mm. in our lives as we've done in the last four years, but worked so pleasantly with happiness and put our heart and soul in it. Mm. Every morning we wake up very with a lot of optimism. And yet it's a very complex business. Yes. So let, that's a great segue. Let's kind of tap into some of that now. So if my numbers are correct, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe you officially opened to the public in the summer of 22. Yes. Is that correct? At this 16th location? 16th of July. 16th of the July, 22. Correct. Um, but seeds, so to speak, have been planted prior to that. I think 2019 was that right. time frame. Yes. So that's when you know he started planting some of the grapes to get things prepped for his eventual launch point with the public. Um, so let, let's talk about that launch point for a second because that's when I, I, I was kind of thrown into it with you and there was a lot of stuff going on. And part of what we like to talk about on this podcast is kind of for any aspiring person who wants to run a business what does that day-to-day -day look like? Like, what am I actually getting myself into? And not not just for winery, but lessons in this business that can be applied to other industries as well. So, um, you know, I wake up in the morning, what does that look like? A, a problem comes up. And that's a lot of what business is, is constantly putting out problems and putting in processes in place so that those problems don't occur again. So let's rewind the clock a little bit back to uh, July of 22 and some of the problems that you guys encountered just as far as challenges and some of the real struggles of, of operating a business? You know, that's a million dollar question you picked up. Uh, there is no hard, I think I can set back, there's no hard set rule for a small family business to open, how to open, when to open. We're not Google, we're not Apple, where all the wheels of the corporate world are with you, a complete planned phased opening. Mm. Here we were this little winery, we have the wines, the place was ready. And when we got the license, it was, the question was, should I wait till September, October, go through absolutely the perfect opening or just open? Mm. Just put a table out, put the chairs, people want to come and try a new winery. Uh, here, I have to give 100% credit to the people who supported us in Medford. They have been so nice, so gentle, you know, gentle, so enthusiastic. And we opened. It was very exciting. 
But within a week, a thousand pound gorilla was sitting on my head. Wow. Stokelin <laughs> was madly successful, correct? Yes. We broke every number in the game. Mm. And that's, that's when I needed Lauder. Let, let's dive into that for a second. Uh, some of the what you're talking about as far as breaking the system, so to speak. Yes. So you guys had expectations and you broke through those expectations. We had no expectations. We just wanted to open the doors, let people come, ha have them taste our wines. I, you know, we are a dry winery. We don't produce any sweet wines. Mm. We were, I was a little nervous about that, apprehensive about that. We just wanted to open the winery, let people come and start the revenue. Why was that? Because, I mean, at one point we had to open and a planned opening was, a, a planned opening seemed the more weight I will do, I'm playing with the wines. Mm. And I didn't want to take that risk. And they were already in the bottles and we just wanted to open them. Mm. So do you have you introduced sweet wines since then or have, no. you, have you stayed with the dries? We will always be dry wines. What what is what is the reasoning for that? I I I kind of like that personally, <laughs> my personal preference, um but it, it, I'm just curious. Because uh, a, a couple of reasons uh, for our reds we get our inspiration from Bordeaux from uh, our, uh, uh rosé comes from uh, vision comes from Provence. Um uh, uh, Chardonnay, we will look to the new world. Mm. I don't want to sound like a wine snob, but we want to really, you know, be the producers of exemplary wine. Mm. It was just a, that simple thinking. That's awesome. For I, people I... to come and have a nice glass, enjoy a nice glass of wine, appreciate wine. And also, in New Jersey, I mean, it's a it, it's a very farm fruit farm forward state. Mm -hmm. So why go there? Mm. You know, produce wine which speaks and enhances the dryness and you know the quality of wine. Yeah, this is a really interesting question because it's something I've played with in the past. Is especially in, in the in the beer scene, it's like there's a certain element where what point do we drive um, the type of beverage that we're making? Do we do it for ourselves, something that we like to enjoy, or do we completely cater to the public? And it seems like there has to be some type of, um, I, if, if you do, if you completely cater to the public, it's almost like you lose your identity. But if you um, do completely what you like, you might not have a business. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's a really delicate balance between those two things. And um, I heard a brewery owner say this once, and I think it rings really true: is um, we 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 make things that that we enjoy, and that the, the our customers don't know they like yet. So we're constantly pushing that barrier of what's possible, or what does our customer not know is possible in whatever realm of beverage you're working with. Um, but I, I really like your stick-to-itiveness as far as having this principle, finding what, what works well with our terroir here in in New Jersey, and then kind of sticking with that and bringing that through to the wines. Absolutely. And also, you know, at one point, we have to be with our vision, with our little simple thinking. 
Lauren is very good. Sometimes I waver back, you know, puts you back. Like we cannot appease the sommeliers all the time. Mm. Uh, we would love to make sure that the people who come, our guests are happy. Mm. Uh, some, And I think they are. Nobody has complained that they want sweet wines. That has been the best part. <laughs> That's good. Yes. They love the wines. They appreciate the wines. And that will help us to be quality wine people because that is ultimately what we aim for. We are not going to compromise on the quality. That's, that's good to hear as a, as a I local. I hope so. <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully. And I think it goes with the brand. Yes. So I think that's one of the things, to your point, that we really try to do is we sort of figured out what we want the wines to taste like, what we want the whole entire wine experience to be, because again, it's it's part of that, and then sort of sticking with that brand. It's not right. to say that we wouldn't introduce maybe an off-dry wine at some point. I don't, but, but sweet isn't necessarily... Um, sort of in the cards for for the brand. And then just to take two steps back, because I think that you'll really find this interesting. Having been in this business for as long as I have, I had some sort of thoughts and feelings about how I thought opening was going to go. But between you and me, I did sort of keep it a little quiet and a little bit to myself for fear of her being very overwhelmed because I sort of knew what the potential could be for opening um, just from sort of the feedback that I was seeing and getting from sort of people who were helping mm. get things off the ground. And I knew that there was a good chance that it was going to be big. Um, so, but I didn't want to, cause she was already very nervous about everything. <laughs> yes. yes. You, don't, you don't want to stoke those fears yeah, for lack of a better term. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> pun intended. But so I just kind of said, everything's going to be fine. I, 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 I sort of was the hype girl, if you will. Mm. And I was kind of just going, everything's going to be fine. We're just going to open. We're just going to make sure everybody has great wine and great food. That's your that's your only job. Just have as many people here helping as possible so that the experience for everybody is great. And I said, that's the only thing you have to focus on right now. And then just get <laughs> through the initial craziness. But that's the only thing that you need to worry about. Everything else, the, the, the process, because you were talking a little bit about process, um, you know, the process for how you run the business, the strategy, you know, all of these things do not worry about any of that right now. Just make sure that people get in, have wine and have a good time. All the rest of that <laughs> will get sorted out later. It's very true. Very simple formula. Yeah. And she kept repeating that. Very simple because it was, you know, just love, dedication, just serve mm-hmm. the wine, our wines, our food and give everyone the attention they deserve. Mm. Make it an experience. Make it a special place, mm-hmm. a special experience. Yeah, because you mentioned before the thousand pound gorilla in the room. Yes. Of, wow, okay, we did open. Now this thing is doing something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it's kind of a, um, it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. You know what I mean? Yes. So this is something that you can kind of go one of two ways on, on grand opening is, okay, well, not enough people showed up and that's a problem or wow, things really turned out well, which is awesome, but that's also not a problem, but it's a, a smaller yet bigger problem. You know what I mean? And so how do you, how do you deal with that side of things? If, if things go less than expected, but if things go more than expected, um, I just find that very interesting on how people deal with that. But I think you're right. I think it's really stay the course and that's kind of the, the best. We stayed the course. We were day by day, minute by minute. That's mm-hmm. all what we dealt yes. with. The wines were there. People were liking the wines. The food was there, complementing the wines. 
The place is beautiful. It's a lovely farmhouse. And the people who work in Stirkland are the best. Mm. Yeah. They really made it a very pleasant experience. We've got so many compliments. Yeah, we and, do have an amazing team. Yes, amazing team. So it was everything put together. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why I you guys have this, it's almost like an energy, you know what I mean? But I think it's really good because in some places, they don't have a story that kind of girds their existence. You know what I mean? They kind of just, oh, I'm in, and I've seen it in the beverage space before, is... Um, when things something's hot, a hot new thing. Oh, we're going to do that because it's a way to make money. Correct. You know what I mean? But when times do get tough, as inevitably they will, you run into struggles at some points, whether that's really things are going really well and you need assistance or things are going poorly, you kind of have to be able to get through that. And I think the story is kind of what what does that. Um, does that speak true to you guys? Absolutely. Yes, of course. You know, and down the road, each time you want a good bottle of wine. You think of Stokeland. You come to Stokeland. I will. <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, that, that's it's, what we are driving to. Yeah. And the but the family aspect, the the brand wanting to create a place that's very sort of unique too. So that's why everything that we do, we think through that whole process. Um, so we may, you know, we were, when you were setting up, we were talking about brunch. We would love to do a brunch here, but we were wanting to make sure that it was a Stokeland brunch. Yes. It's not a brunch you're necessarily going to get at other places, it's going to be one that is specific for here. It has, you know, our brand and it has sort of the, it's part of the experience you get when you come here. No, I, and I, I could sense that because even some of the, the fact that there was like an hour long conversation. About least, food? I, I, it's a lot. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. At, yes. at least the portion that I saw could have been yeah. even longer. Than, but, very intense. Um, yes. We always go it, the it, extra It's good, it's good though, because it, it shows, first of all, it shows that you care, but second of all, it's like it helps to create the best outcome on the opposite end. Absolutely. Um, so as far as wines, what is this that we have right here, Deepa? What, what, are, we, what are we drinking right here? So this is similar. This is a signature red. Mm. It's a red blend. And this is from my hometown. And this is the strong connection between the Stokes and Stokeland. Mm. Each one of the wines has a special yes. name, special meaning. Every wine has a story, has a name. And thought of name. Lauren is a sommelier by profession also. So she's going to give you a better heads up on that. So Simla is a, like she was saying, it's a Bordeaux style red blend. Um, It is a blend of uh, Cabernet Franc, Petit Bordeaux. It has some Merlot in it. It has some Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, So it's a, it's what I would consider sort of a medium to fuller bodied red. This is, you know, when you're talking about pairing wines with food too, you want to do uh, fuller bodied food. So this pairs really well. We try to think about the foods on our menu here too. So we have a charcuterie um, that has some aged meats and cheeses and things like that. So this is a perfect partner for that. Um, meats, things like that. I, I just like it because I think um, while it has a little bit more to it, it's a little, it's dry. It has a little bit more tannin. I still think it's very approachable and very drinkable to me. It's, you know, it's perfect to sort of um, carry a lot of different types of dishes, meat dishes and things like that. But what I love about the wines and the thoughtfulness that goes into them is they're all very approachable. So this, even though it's, a, you know, a fuller fuller bodied red, I don't think it's unapproachable as, as a daily red, mm. right? It's something you could sit down and have with right. with dinner very easily. You don't necessarily have to have something specific with it. Um, we do a Kirby's mill red, 
which is a little bit lighter bodied. And I think that's a great sort of introductory red for people. It's a little bit softer, a little bit more fruit forward. Obviously that's named for the Kirby's mill, which is, yeah. you can probably see that if you stand outside on the porch. <laughs> it's a very historical mm -hmm. Medford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very close by. Um, so those are the two reds that we currently have. We we're making five to six wines, depending on the time of year that may grow as the winery grows. Um, but we're sort of being very thoughtful about that too, um, because we want to make sure that we're putting the best wines out there and we don't want the wine list to be so big and broad that we're not, you know, sort of very solely focused on the wines. I think that's really important too, is not to grow your list too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes then you just get lost in a big wine list. So I think we're very thoughtful about talking about new wines and things we like. We certainly have our wish list that we talk with the winemaker about, um, but we're being very thoughtful about introducing more wines. As far as whites, we have Cat's Paw, which is a Chardonnay. It's a stainless steel, almost plays a little bit more like a Sauvignon Blanc. Cat's Paw is named for, I guess there's a, a, a brick, a stone here that has a Cat's Paw in it. You know, 200 years ago when the Stokes made the, uh, this property, the first thing they did was make the garage. And when we were demolishing the garage to make a little winery, we were uh, taking the bricks out. And there we saw markings of cat's paw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we kept the bricks and we called the wine cat's paw. It, it, it's so funny. I've seen that so many times in the beer world of people naming beers. And you think there's like this, you know, hour long thought out of why no. it was that no. thing. It's like, oh no, there was a cat's ball over there. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very simple, but very, very unique to the property, right? Yeah. I like that a lot. So you have about, I would say like five to six wines. Mm -hmm. Um, that's cool. So you uh, just run through them again if, if you would. So we have two dry whites, cat's paw, um, and then crossroads, which is also a Chardonnay. The the um the crossroads has some lightly lightly oaked um elements to it. I consider it more of like a Burgundian style. So not heavy new oak. It's just a little bit to sort of soften it, mm -hmm. um, a little bit fuller bodied. And then we have Myra, which is named after her granddaughter. That is a dry rosé, very sort of Provence in style, has nice acidity, but very food friendly, perfect for the spring. Um, and then we have Kirby's Mill and Simla. And then we do also have a uh, winter rose, which is a seasonal dry rosé, but it's a really fun wine if you've yeah, never- Yeah, very cool. It's, it, yeah. I, you don't hear about that too much. No. So winter rose, I think the winemaker sort of put it very, very beautifully. It's a lunch rosé. So it's a winter lunch rosé. So it has a little bit more body to it, mm. although it is a dry rosé, but it will stand up to soups and stews and things like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so that's the lineup right now. So as far as the business side here, um, what things have you seen here as far as- um, running business. What what's like the day to day look like for you guys, and um, what goals do you have kind of moving forward for the business, and just making sure things run smoothly. At the end of the day, um, you know we have this story here that we're kind of it's kind of girding us along the whole the whole time. Um, but what 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 is the larger business vision that you guys have for Stokeland? I can speak to that yes. certainly. So one of the things I think is really important, especially when you're starting a business, um, a winery business or a, a business in hospitality. That's basically what we do. Sure. So is to, you know, 
think of, you know, we, we planned through, we have our day-to-day, we're open Thursday through Sunday. We have our day-to-day sort of business where you can come in, you can do wine tastings and get food and things like that. But we are starting to very slowly try to incorporate some events throughout the year. We have talked a lot about having some signature events for Stokeland. So this past Christmas, we had a huge event here, Christmas at Stokeland. We did it over the course of, um, three days, three days, three days. Um, and it was a wonderful event and it just sort of fit perfectly with, you know, sort of the family element, um, and things that we want to do here. So it's sort of thinking about the business in a broad sense, maybe what are these signature events, things that we want to do every year that gets the community involved, gets people to come out. It's that thing that everybody talks about every year, you know, and then sort of, sort of planning those out in a very sort of broad sense and then looking at the day-to-day and incorporating new things and similarly to the wines it's growing at a a rate that you can manage i think one time once sometimes you see things that it would be very easily with the success that stokeland has had right from the very beginning to just get really big really fast let's do this let's do that let's do more of this and more of that and then you get you get ahead of yourself Mm. right so you know we have we have to manage how much wine we have, how many people we can have here. So it's being very thoughtful about not adding too many things too quickly so that the business grows in a very manageable, organic way. No, I think that's very well put. Um, and it's a, a conversation I've actually had several times on this podcast is, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, uh, I get you want to grow and that mm-hmm. you should, but like, what's the upper limit? You know what I mean? And for most people who haven't thought about this seriously, it's there seems to be no upper limit. People just want to keep growing. And it's like, okay, fine. But I mean, for, for for what? If you have a good business and it's operating well and you have this family chemistry like you guys have here, it, what, what's the goal? And the, the growth almost seems to impede the, the absolute goal of what the business is here for. It's like growth over everything. And that's, that's it. That's the singular point people want to hit. And I, I get it. I get growth, but it seems like you kind of understand that we want to grow, but it's not the end all be all right now. We have a larger vision and getting there in our own time is how we want to do things. And it's not at the risk of damaging the other parts of the business. Absolutely. Sure. So keeping the joy in the business, keeping um, you know, the experience that people have when they come to Stokeland, keeping those things at the top of it mm. will allow the business to grow organically but in a lovely way, in a manageable way and a happy way, as opposed to just trying to get too big too fast. And it sort of, it zaps the joy. Right. Which is what you see happen a lot of time too. And, you know, with businesses that get too big too fast, it sort of takes all the air out of the room. It takes all the joy out of it. And this is at the end of the day, a family business. So we want to keep that joy, the passion, the fun, the energy and the experience and the business will grow organically just because of that our goals are very simple i want we are striving to make better and better wine and be very proud of our wines come for the wine stay for the experience that will i hope till the end be our ultimate goal mm. things will come things will go i'm sure we have the best people working at stokeland and they will make it a joy it's it's not like we're looking for super overgrowth immediate growth. We want to do it slow and steady, but make it always a very pleasant experience. 
I like that a lot. And not compromise. I, I totally agree. I, and I think you said something that's very telling is the idea of simplicity. Maybe let's, yes. let's just stop there and talk for a second is, you know, I, I think, you know, I forget who said it, but probably a lot of people have said it, <laughs> but sometimes where you want to get is by, you want to take things away. So you're left with this thing that's really nice as opposed to just adding things on all the time. Uh, so maybe speak to that and how that kind of is incorporated into what you guys do here. But this idea of thinking about it as like, a, like Stokeland has a big marble block and slowly chiseling away at it over time, as opposed to just like a, a pile that you're continually adding on with more and more features, so to speak. We want this to be a happy place where a guest comes for a few hours, enjoy good wine, good food, great conversation, has a lovely time and goes back to their crazy world. Mm. That is the place we want to strive to be. Mm. We will have, uh, and behind the scenes, we do have our trials and tribulations, of course, <laughs> all the yes. time. Yes, we do. <laughs> but that thousand pound gorilla is not sitting on my head anymore. Yeah. You know, slowly, steadily, we are moving. It, it seems like Stokeland is kind of filling a void, which I think a lot of um, places in the beverage industry strive for. It's almost like this same place that a lot of breweries have fulfilled over the past couple of years. It's like this third place. So it's not home, it's not work, but it's this other place where yes. we can go have conversation and it takes it kind of transports us into a new mindset, so to speak. Correct. And it goes hand in hand with what you're talking about with the experience side of things, right? Pleasant wines, pleasant place, an excellent conversation. <laughs> That's good. See, and every time I keep talking, you keep bringing it back. You keep it. You keep it very simple, and I, that really, really speaks to me. I think simplicity is is so understated so much in business, and people try to use marketing as a way to complicate things. Oh, look what we have! But it's like the simplicity. If it's simple enough, it almost seems to market itself in a certain regard. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It, it's wonderful. What, you know, I often walk around on the property and I see people very busy having a glass of wine, eating and talking with each other. Very involved. And I laugh to myself and I say, I hope one day down the road, they say, I'm a relationship saver. <laughs> <laughs> when people came took the time, spoke to each other, mm. th their hearts out, had a conversation and, you know, in a very pleasant place and moved on. Yeah. Mm. Took that little time. Even in, the, and I think too, when you wander around here, even in the age of social media and people are taking photos and posting and Correct. stuff, but you do see a lot less of that when you walk around here Correct. or when you sort of walk through the property or in the rooms, people are here, they're engaging with each other. They're talking, they're laughing. We've become a big meeting place too. So mm. we have a lot of groups that come in, yes. groups of women that will meet up group, you know, um, a lot of sort of fun family events or gatherings or meets or meetups and things like that. And so it's nice to see people when they all get together, because you see very little of that too, mm. right? So everybody kind of is wrapped up in their own sort of day to day. But I love it when I see like a group of six or eight people and they come and they meet and they, they all see each other and everybody's so excited and happy and they're very happy. They're very happy. And it's a fun place to be and meet. And it's just, it's, it's nice. It's nice to see people engaging in that way it's too. It's very joyful. If it you is. step back mm -hmm. and you see a young girl bring her mother. I've also seen 
ladies bring the 80, 85, 90-year-old mothers mm -hmm. for a glass of wine. Mm. Just to sit with them, make them taste, because once upon a time, that same mother enjoyed drinking wine. Mm -hmm. It is so sentimental. Yeah. And that's what we want to be, a very happy place. And we would be very grateful, and we are very grateful, to be part of people's lives. Mm. Each time they have a celebration, they should think of us. I want to pivot to an idea that kind of kept emerging as I was as I've been here, looked around, um, also hearing your story is this idea of a sense of place. Um, and what I mean by that is a sense of place is very important, both as in terms of the wine itself. And, you know, you, you kind of get this a lot in wine with the regions. Yep. It, it's pulled from the ground, pulled from the terroir, pulled from the weather in that area. And then it's also, we have just a, a beautiful landscape here. Um, so it seems that it's kind of hard to escape that idea of creating a sense of place, both in where we are, where we're enjoying this conversation, but also in in the wines themselves. Um, so maybe just describe, if you could, just some of the features of this physical space that we're in, um, just to give some of the listeners an idea of where we are, what this house is, and where we are on this farmland. The soil, when we had it tested, the soil is sandy loam. It's the same soil as Bordeaux. Mm. So it was literally like, okay, if it's Bordeaux, Cabernet Franc and Chardonnay are going to be our grapes of choice. Uh, where the soil was. The house, it was built in 1865 by the Stokes and carried on for generations. And we are trying to hold that legacy that you know, that Greek revival architecture mm. and give it a romance, a story mm -hmm. where you are sitting in, in a beautiful setting, in an old farmhouse, enjoying a lovely glass of wine with a good friend or good companion. Yep. And just be at peace, very organic. We don't have highfalutin ambitions. We're very simple, but we want to give you quality, how, not quantity. How would you guys place yourselves in the vast, there's a lot of winemakers. How would you guys place yourself either among those or compare yourself or contrast yourself to those? Um, one thing I, I, I hear from people a lot who either have had certain experience with, with wine is it can be like this very lofty affluent kind of almost uh pompous kind of thing but it doesn't seem like that here so how how do you how would you kind of categorize the industry as a whole and then your positioning in that in the wine world i think um there's no sort of um the place is you know, very elegant and, and beautiful, but yet it's very approachable. And I think the wines sort of are that as well. I think the wines are very similar to the winery mm -hmm. in that they're, they're very elegant. They're, um, you know, beautifully crafted, but yet very approachable. So all the wines are very friendly for people to drink. You don't, you know, you don't have to be a wine expert. You can enjoy them um, over lunch. You can enjoy them with friends. You can enjoy them with food. They kind of run sort of the whole, you know, gamut in terms of enjoying wines. Um, and there's no ego. 
So, you know, none of like she was sort of alluding to the the team that we have here. They're all, you know, fun and friendly. So there's no ego with the wines, which is nice. So I know a lot of people sometimes can be a little intimidated when they go somewhere and they're doing right. a wine tasting. Well, I don't know anything about wines, you know, and, you know, I'll hear our servers. Oh, you don't know, need to know anything about wine here. You can just sit down and enjoy it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that's what's meant to happen. Right. Right. And I think, you know, from the perspective of the wines, they're all high quality wines, very well made. Um, I think that we we like to sort of trend a little bit more to the dry side, which, you know, there are, um, you know, wineries producing a lot more sweet wines. So, but we like to sort of, we're, we're sort of trending uh, more towards the dry wines um, to accompany the food. Um, but I think, you know, you're starting to really see in New Jersey, it's sort of emerging and we were just at the Eastern Winery Expo last week and they did a tasting and I think they were saying that it was New Jersey, um, some of the sort of the tri-state region, Virginia, New York, Pennsylvania, so they sort of did a tasting event. And the interesting thing was New Jersey was the standout. Really? So I think New Jersey as a whole is really starting to come into its own as a wine growing region and wine making region, which is really exciting to see because Stokeland's right there in the mix with all of that. And it's going to be right there, part of that. Um, And so I think Stokeland's very well placed within the wine community here with the wines that we're making. And they sort of are very, um, you know, sort of reflect everything that you get when you come here. Yeah. I'd be curious also to hear about some of your, um, experience in the wine community in general, um, having a little bit of experience in the, in the brewing community. It's, it's very, it's different than other industries. It's, it's more, it's very familial for lack of a better term. Um, is, do you feel the same way in, in, in the wine industry with your, um, you know, counterparts in, in the space? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been in the wine industry in New Jersey for over 20 years. So I've kind of go really way back within this group. It was a much smaller group than it is now. I mean, we're, we've, you know, sort of breached that 50 mark in terms of wineries within the state. And it really runs from Cape May all the way to Bergen County. So the whole entire state mm-hmm. deep is coming into the wine industry a little later, but I think she even saw in the beginning when she was opening, she was reaching out to people within the wine industry. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Asking lots of questions, found people to be very supportive. I think, you know, we want the industry to grow. And um, so we, everybody tries to sort of work together as a community. It's a big community, but everybody tries to sort of work together. And if you call people up and ask them questions, everybody's always very helpful. Extremely helpful, partly, uh, you know, Lauren, I think that has to do with the farmer mentality because I'm surprised my earlier business, every business is very competitive, very secretive. You do your own thing. You have your graphs and every, you know, so forth. Uh, Wineries, the basic background is a farmer background. A farmer is never competitive. He's very uh, organic. They share. And they've always come, and a lot of people came into Absolutely. the wine business from other uh, business. And I came from a totally brand new business, yeah. uh, very distrustful that how can these people be so nice? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> truly. Yeah. And each time, and every day I would be faced with a new set of questions, new set of problems. I would call the wine owner, the wineries. They were so helpful, so amazingly nice. That's how I met Lauren. Mm-hmm. And uh, they went out of the way to help you. They're there for you. Mm-hmm. 
it, it, yeah. And there is no secret. I know. Just, because and, you're working with nature. You're working sometimes against nature. So there is nothing to hide. No. You share. And I think everybody, like I was saying. And it's a common cause. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's judging each other's wines. Yes, I'm very proud to make dry wines, but that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Right. People are working very hard, making excellent sweet wines or whatever wines they believe in. But I don't think that if you were to call any winery in the state, everybody shares the same struggle, the same beginnings. Everybody, most of the people in the wine industry in New Jersey ended up in the wine industry through other fields. You know, they've had other jobs. They've had other careers. This is kind of a secondary career for them. And they get into it for one reason or another. But everybody, you know, you could sit down at a table with every single wine owner and just have a bottle of wine and laugh about the struggle. Like everybody we all went the through goal. the struggle. <laughs> same commonality. Same common problem. So it's yes. almost so that so you get that helpfulness through, oh, I know exactly what she's going through. Been there, done that. We are all short of money all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know the joke, right? It's like, how do you make a million dollars in the wine industry? You, you start yes. with two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it goes back to this um, scarcity and abundance mindsets. I think for some reason or another, the beverage space, wineries, breweries seem to be have this mentality of, not let's compete against each other, but let's grow the industry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Which is definitely helpful. It's like, okay, we can all create and there's enough people out there drinking beverages for for us to all be fine. You know what I mean? And so that's where you get them kind of sticking together, helping each other out, as opposed to in other industries where people feel like, oh, if they're getting a client, then they're taking away from me. You know what right. I mean? Correct. I think New Jersey at this point is we want to grow together. We want to work together to be recognized. Yeah. And I think the big wine world. And to your point, I think also too, the industry in New Jersey isn't old enough to this at the at this point where you have multiple generations. You don't have a lot of people in New Jersey that grew up in the wine business. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're still most people, it's like (laughs) like first generation generation crazy wine person, right? So it's You know, it's not like, you know, uh, other old world wine growing regions, Bordeaux and Italy and places like that where you have people. It's like, oh, you know, it's like fifth, sixth generation wine business. Right. Right. So everybody to a certain extent or most people to a certain extent, it's it's everybody's been in the struggle recently. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it seems to be also just when there is a field or an industry that's a little bit um more fun or not as like quite developed, like if you look at like the, the finance world or like mm-hmm. these huge marketing corporations, um, you know, they're all about the numbers, hitting the numbers. But when, when, they're, when they're smaller, there seems to be like this more communal aspect about it too. I've yeah. seen it in other, like in like the fishing community and that whole industry, the outdoors industry, it's very communal there. You know what I mean? And I think it's kind of the same with the wine, the wine area. Yeah, it's the pioneers of the wine industry in New Jersey, yeah. right? Everybody's Correct. Out there trying to figure it out and succeed and help each other. And and everybody has um their own sort of place and their own vibe and That's their own, the um, yes. you know, sort of business, right? We're all making wine, but everybody, when you sort of travel around to all the different wineries, they all have their own thing going on and their yeah. own style yeah. and their own feel and their own experience. So- 
it's there's not that same competitive nature because you're not going to get the same thing at every yeah, winery. The, 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 there is no perfect winery. There is no perfect wine. No. I mean, of the breweries, we I think are, are the same. Unique, mm -hmm. and some everyone will find a happy place yes. in wherever they go. Yep. Everyone's striving for the same thing. Mm -hmm. I also say, like, even in certain industries like this, where um, there's a, a variety of options to try, and it's not like, oh, I have to buy a twelve hundred dollar MacBook. And I, I don't need to try everyone's twelve hundred dollar computer. But in the wine industry and the beer industry, it's like, oh. Oh, well, they have good wine. I'm going to try their wine. Oh, they have good wine too. I'll, I'll try theirs. You yes. know what I mean? It's yes. not like mutually exclusive where you're sitting no. in one realm. Oh, I like Apple. I'm going to stick to that. It's like, no, I like wine in general and I want to try everybody's. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. And everyone is, all the wineries are fine with that. Mm -hmm. And that's what our business model is. People keep coming and keep trying. Talk about the, the winery itself. So for people who aren't familiar with the process of making wine, and I, I think you guys alluded to something earlier about some work you have to do after this, but talk about um, just the day-to-day -day labor involved in getting wine from grape to in the bottle. So right now, I mean, so it's obviously a growing season. Mm -hmm. So right now they're finishing up um, dormant pruning of the vines. So this is an extremely important part. Um, and obviously mother nature this year has forced our hand very quickly. So this, so you do the dormant pruning in the winter and that will basically shape the grapes that you get on the vine for the harvest. So it's a very important process of selecting what you cut, what you keep, things like that. Um, and so it's almost the beginning of the harvest, if you will, because mm -hmm. it's that first sort of process. And then that follows the grapes through um, the harvest. So right now we're, you know, trying to get things ready. We're trying to bottle. We're trying to, you know, get the winery um, straightened out and ready. You know, sort of finishing off wines and things like that. A lot of times there's bottling done in the winter um, when you have a little bit of downtime. So and then as the season progresses, you're basically tending to the grapes and, you know, praying for a good you know, season and a good harvest, um, and then getting ready to harvest everything. And then the process sort of starts over again. Is there a certain type of weather that you guys cross your fingers for that t so, tends to lead to, to better yields or? So yeah. And a lot of people have misconceptions about vines too. So vines actually don't like too much water. So vines will dig very deep into the soil. That's where you get that terroir that you were sort of responding to. So the older the vines, the more complexity you'll get in the fruit. Um, but they don't mind it sort of dry mm -hmm. in the summer. Um, and as long as there's not a lot of rain near harvest. Got it. So that's sort of the weather that you kind of pray for the whole time. It's just, um, you know, nice and dry sort of keeps pests and molds and mildew at bay. Um, and then not a lot of rain right before harvest, because, you know, if you think about a grape, it's almost like if anybody grows little cherry tomatoes, mm. you know, when you get that rain and everything splits, yeah. well, the same thing will happen with grapes. So that's kind of the ideal season. So last summer it was really dry and everybody kept saying, oh, it's so dry. It's so dry. Are the grapes okay? And we're like, the grapes are happy. They love this. <laughs> They're so happy out there right now because those roots go so far into the soil that they have access to whatever water they need. Have you had any trouble with the uh, spotted lanternflies? 
because I, I I know I've seen them around the area, but just kind of curious. I, I heard they're very bad for wineries, and which is kind of you know Rutgers, you know, uh, Rutgers was uh, been very good about it. Yeah, they have had so many semin- seminars, talks, so much information out there. They're there. Uh, they're they're there. They they're there. Just, I mean, we saw somehow, evidence of them in the vineyards out here. Yeah, so we were walking, but around. they never damaged it the yeah. way that scare came. Yeah, we survived it. I think. Yeah, I think some of the one of the things that Rutgers and the Department of Agriculture was on top of from the very beginning. I mean, I went to talks about the spotter and lantern fly five years ago, mm. six years ago. Okay. So way back they they when they started seeing it initially, they were on it, right? So they've been really studying and and coming up with um sprays that you can use um and you know sort to try to keep things at bay and keep things under control. So they've been on it since since cool. day one. But so they're out there, um, but it's just a manage. It's a matter of managing them. You're not going to get rid of them. Yeah, it's very. They're very invasive. That's true. Managing them, they will be here to yeah. stay. Um, is there anything else that you guys find particularly interesting about Stokeland that you really want to put out there as like, uh, hey, and maybe you've been to wineries before, but come try ours because this is this is what sets us apart. The story, I, I think, it speaks for itself. But anything else that you really think sticks out about about the winery? We are at a very exciting uh, phase. We are just starting to build our big winery. So Mm. that is going to be a huge thing for us, Mm. uh, for Lauren, for Andrew. We will have barrels. We will start aging. That's Mm. when the oak comes in. So it'll be in a year, year and a half, two years, a completely different uh, winery with better quality wines, keeping to what we've been saying more space and you know you can see the winery you can see it, it's it's again that romance you stand over there and you look down and you know we have a mezzanine and you will see the tanks you'll see the wines being made and the whole process i think the two things that people underestimate with wineries it's always going to cost you more than you think and you're never going to have enough space <laughs> yeah yes never yes. going to have enough space so we're very excited about <laughs> our new one <laughs> We were, we were looking at the plans and uh, the the builder was here with the plans and 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 Andrew was here and Tifa was here and he's got the plans spread out and I like took one look and I went it's too small. <laughs> <laughs> I thought my heart sank. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so true though because because you you really do need a lot of dead space just to for storage. Yes. Like yeah. it really becomes an issue. I mean, maybe it, not initially right now, but like once that point hits where you want to have correct. many vintages of, of it's because it's not you know what i always explained to everybody is it's, it's not a widget right so you right when you run low on widget widgets you order more widgets well here we have to house we have to grow everything and house everything and manufacture everything and keep everything so and then you need all the equipment to do all that growing housing and manufacturing and so yeah you're really it's it's a it's a big production to right. make wine and you need a lot of space to and do it. And it kind of goes back to our conversation earlier is you also can't do this too quickly because no. you, have, you have to make sure things are dialed in before we go to that next step of the air. Right. right. So how much wine do you, you know, how much wine do we ultimately want to make versus how much, you know, we, we always joke that the, the business plan is like a living, breathing document mm. because what you think you want to do in the beginning, yes. once you start moving in, you know, once you actually start getting into the business and start to get a feel for the business that changes significantly. Yeah. So changes for the better. Because yeah. we are learning and growing. Mm-hmm. A document is part of the team, you know? It's part, yes, part, part it of our absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it is, Every day brings a new set of challenges. It is not written in permanent ink. What, um, 
What, what's the total production here? If you don't mind me asking, if that's okay to talk about um, on an annual basis. So currently we're at, we have a, we're about 1500 cases. Okay. So um, yeah. And, and, and that's sort of something we have to think about too. You know, what, how much do we ultimately want to make um, how much, you know, of different types of varieties too. So that's something that we're constantly kind of thinking about and talking about, you know, how much of, how much red do we want to make versus white versus rosé? You know, one of the things that's on our wish list is, you know, to do a sparkling wine. So Correct, yeah. how would that look like? How much, you know, need more space for that. Um, so how much wine, how much of that do we want to make? So thinking through all of those things constantly to sort of adapt to, adapt to the business model. And I think that's, that's part of the realization you have to come to as a business owner or someone in the entrepreneurial space is that things are always going to be ever evolving. Yeah. And so some people want to have, Oh, things are set. They can just go. But it's like, even once they're to a point where they're a little more structured, it, you're still going to have to make those conscious things. And so th the whole idea of getting things set and just moving forward, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a false proposition because Things are always going to be living and breathing, as, as you put it before. It's a very fast evolving, I won't use the word business, but it evolves very fast, this whole yeah. thing. See, when the vineyard is there, we are full farmers. We do all the spraying, the taking care of the, you know, of the vineyard, the vines. Come September, the winery then becomes a factory. That's mm. when the production starts. And once it's bottled, it comes to the main house. That is a completely different breed. There we run a restaurant and we run a bar. We don't call it a bar. I mean, my goodness, not a bar, not a restaurant, but it's a tasting room where we are providing the wine and the food. Mm -hmm. Completely different animal. And totally the business becomes very complex. So we are always moving. If, if one day you're just standing there's a problem in the vineyard. If there's no problem in the vineyard, something's happened in the winery. <laughs> yes. That's true. Never a dull moment. There's right? never a dull never moment. A dull mo and you always make plans for what your week's going to look like. And then it's never the same. It never looks like that. No. <laughs> um, what, what advice would you give to somebody? I, I think we kind of answers a little bit in the beginning when, you know, there's really, everything is so different. Sometimes you kind of have to jump in and be organic with it. But if you were to give any advice to somebody who's looking to branch off an idea they have, whether that be in the beverage space or not, um, what's one piece of advice you would give them? You know, I often asked myself three years ago, especially when COVID was there, I was going, doing my rounds to get the approvals, the permits. And I was, what the hell did I get into? <laughs> this is yeah, I've been there before. That's the it. most useless business, <laughs> the most luxurious money you you're, you're inspiring many out there. Yeah. The <laughs> most luxurious business, and then I would look, and when we opened, this is a life-changing business. Hmm. There is an experience to it. That's all we can offer. What I would tell is, if you have the passion, if you're organic, simple, clean, and truth, you have to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you cannot fake it. Mm. If you're true to, to that, and if you have that passion, hard work will come naturally. Passion will drive that. Mm. That love to do more and more where it's a joy. I can work seven days a week and feel nothing. Yeah. Feel fresh. 
Mm. It didn't come without its its struggles, it, that's it, for sure. Correct. But I'm not going to sit and tell you about my struggles. I'm going to tell you when the sun sets over here. Oh. Mm. When I'm having a glass of wine with the sun setting. It is mm -hmm. so beautiful. Or yeah. the rainbow. You called me one day and and I know that she had, you know, been put through the ringer that day because I kind of knew, had a little bit of background <laughs> on what was going on that day because I had talked to her two or three times that day. And then we caught up at the very end after the day was over. And I was like, how are you doing? She goes, you know what? I'm sitting here on the steps. I'm having a glass of wine and I'm watching the sunset. She's like, today was a good day. <laughs> you know, that's so yeah, that's, yeah, that's that passion where you, it, it drives you so that you're able to kind of take whatever's thrown at you. And then at the end of the day, you're like, yes, yes. It's uh reminds me of a, a the last podcast I had. I was um a guy who has a canned cocktail company out of San Diego, and uh, we were talking about this and how it can be very up and down mm -hmm. in the beginning pieces, and you have to kind of get used to it. And you can't get too high on your highs or too low on the lows. Yes. You kind of have to yes. have this middle ground. You just kind of stick there the whole time and realize that okay, it was it was a bad day, but tomorrow might be a good one. You know what I mean? And that kind of weathers the storm kind of going through, True. but it, it's, if you go into it with that, that foreknowledge of this is how it's going to be and just prepare, be prepared for the bad ones and then celebrate, but don't get too high in the good ones. I think it's a good kind of middle ground to play with. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, maybe last, before we jump into some of the final questions here, um, talk about a little bit, the vision for Stokeland. We did a little bit as far as, you know, some of the, the, the bigger winery with the barrel aging, but let, let's talk about even beyond, um, the, the physical features, what else you envision for Stokeland? My vision is very clear and fixed. It's Lauren who's going to take us forward. So it would be nice to hear how she thinks Stokeland is going to go. So one of the things that I think is really important is kind of establishing Stokeland as you know, uh, the winery, um, for the community. Right. So I think one of the things that makes that, that gives it sort of the heart and soul is the way that people have embraced the winery. We're still sort of in that beginning, you know, having only opened since July, haven't even been open a full year yet. So we're still getting a lot of people. I, 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 cause I answer the phone a lot and I, and I get a lot of emails from people saying, Oh, my friend was just there. She told me I have to come or, Oh, I've been meeting to get here. And I finally got here. Oh, you know, and I see it on social media. We have to go. Oh my goodness. I was there last week. It's amazing. You have to go. So we're still getting that there's, there's a lot of energy and we're still getting a lot of people in the area that love it. Mm. And they say, you know, we're just so happy to have you here. You're so close to my house. This is wonderful. This is amazing. So I think establishing this like long brand, it's sort of the long game. It's establishing this brand that's going to be here in this, this place that's going to be here for a long time and sort of evolving what we do around this place that people, that people will embrace as part of their community. So this you're you're going to see people will say, oh, it, it will become like their winery, their place. Right. Right. And the place that they want to bring their friends to it's it almost becomes it's like, you know, cheers. Right. It's the neighbor. It's the it's the community winery. Got it. And I think so everything that we're kind of doing in the long term vision is to have this place that that's where people come and they bring their friends and they come and just have a really nice day. They have their special events here. You know, this is where they have their 
anniversary party or their birthday party or their bridal shower or their baby shower. And we, a couple of weeks ago, we had a proposal, you know, we've had a lot of proposals here and then they say, oh, well, we're going to come back and this is going to be our place, right? Because this is where they they got engaged. So creating those special memories here, and then it becomes a place that for everybody that that in the community. So I think that long-term vision is, you know, it's, it's the wine, it's, sort of continuing to elevate the wines and, and, you know, expand the wine list and expand the the events and the things that we're doing here, but still kind of keeping that community winery behind it. Yeah. I think that's very well put. I think the community aspect is huge. Very yeah. And I think that there's might be some businesses out there who might be um, middling and being like an average business who could really um, become an excellent business by having those community ties. By being like, what can we provide more? Where can we provide more value to the people in this community? We want to be part of the community. And I hope down the road, we have that energy, the drama, the romance. Hmm. The people are so comfortable. It's their place. Hmm. And there's one other part of that too. I I live an hour north of here. So I'm sort of learning this this area, this community. But one of the things that I talked about, Deepa, from the very beginning, I said, I want to embrace as many of the businesses around as well. Yeah. So I love, so for me, it's really important at the end of the day, you know, we're a farm and, and, and part of the farm community, even though we're a winery. So I want to embrace all of the local businesses. So we try really hard whenever we're having a special event or having a special activity to use the businesses that are around um, as well. And I think that that helps to ingratiate you into the community and you become, you know, their winery too. So right. I think, you know, trying to incorporate as many other small businesses and everything that we do here is really important to me. And I think it's, it's important to do totally well. supported by us. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to dive into what's called the quick question round. And so it's really just a few quick questions. Just get both your initial thoughts on random topics and we'll go from there. Okay. Yep. Um, so the first question is, what is the coolest thing you've seen lately? This could be in wine, beverage, or anything across the board. I saw this guy proposing near the silo to this girl. It was so cute. It was so unplanned, not thought of, so nice. And I don't know, I was standing over there and kind of prying on them. I haven't seen anything <laughs> so Aww. sweet and cool in my life. So unsophisticated (laughs) (laughs) but so simple yeah and so beautiful yeah Yeah. that was the nicest thing in its simplicity it goes back to simplicity yes it does yeah i think that's sweet yes yeah how about you lauren oh the coolest thing that i've seen lately oh geez i don't know i was so engrossed in her her proposal. I didn't even, I didn't even, I, I didn't even think about anything nice. Um, so the coolest thing that I've seen lately, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, when I first started, when I first joined here, obviously a lot of the staff members kept telling me about the sunsets here on this property. Hmm. Um, and literally I was walking, it was right before the time change. And so it just happened to be this amazing sunset. And I was here kind of it was a really crazy day here at the winery. It was that March 18th when we had that proposal, not March 18th, February. Um, and we'd had a proposal and we had an event and then we had people and it was Valentine's day. And it was just an absolutely bananas day here. And 
literally I came around, around the corner and I walked through the room and the whole entire bar area, everything over here was pink mm. because it, the sun was setting and it was so, it was like beyond magnificent. The whole, I literally thought that somebody had a pink light on in that room because the color that was coming through, it was like just shining through the windows and it was just everything, this room, everything was just draped in this pink color. And I ran outside and I was like, wow, it's like, that is extraordinary. That is amazing. You, you guys do have excellent lighting here. I really do enjoy the natural light you guys have. But it place. was, you know, and I, I, everybody kept talking about it. And until I actually saw it, there's just something about the way that the property sits mm. on this. And we talk about place, right? It's just the way that this house sits. The house is among the land, right? So it just sort of kind of sits in this place beautifully and the way that the property, you know, the house is, you know, the, the, where all the windows are and everything. It just, it was magical. It really was one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. That's really cool. Um, what are tools that you guys use on a daily basis that you could not live without? It could be a software tool, you know, a physical hand tool. Um, what are those for you guys? My cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old outdated. These are the young ones. They use their laptops and they're very up to date. <laughs> well, you want to know the funny thing? You say your cell phone and you say you're the old one. I can't live without my stupid notebook. Yeah. I am. And my husband is a super techie tech guy and it drives him bananas that I don't put everything in my phone. I still am a person who carries around a notebook. I carry, yes, I carry in a notebook. I carry around an actual calendar. And I will put things in. I do both, you know. I do both. <laughs> but if I don't have my notebook, yeah. I feel very lost. I like, um, and I think that there's something to, I like to write. Mm. I like to write out my thoughts. I like to, I'm a journal person. I like to, you know, I get up every morning and I journal. I like to write out my thoughts. I like to write out what I need to do. There's something, the, the pen to the paper. It's different is really, really important to me. And I, I cannot live without writing. And I, you know, I'll have notes about work. I'll have notes about life. I'll have notes about that's why things you're that so I clear thought of. I don't know if I'd go that far. No, you're very clear. It helps me sort of kind of take all the, the thoughts in my head all the time. And when I put them on paper, it, it makes it clear. It's like an external hard drive for it, you. Yeah. I download. Yeah. <laughs> I download to my notebook. <laughs> um, what are the most transformational um, changes you're looking to make in the next 90 days? That could be either at the winery here or, or personally. Our numbers going up, getting more structure. Mm -hmm. We are very smoothly going in the right direction. Just need a little bit more structure. Yeah, I think for me, you know, it's in the next 90 days, we're going to be in the beginning of the busy season. Well, we'll be in the middle of the busy season. So we opening in July didn't have the spring. Um, so to her point, yeah, it's, it's, it's continuing to put the structure in place for the first like official season. Got it. And then finally, what is your favorite beverage? Wine. Rosé. <laughs> I love rosé. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I love wine. I, I discovered wine and coffee in the same trip. Wow. So when I was That's one hell of a trip, <laughs> yeah, it was, let me tell you. Um, and I, I'll, and the, the moment of both is 
is ingrained in me forever. So I was a senior in college and I had never got, never had wine, uh, you know, anything decent anyway. Um, and I wasn't a coffee drinker mm. and I studied abroad, um, in Italy. I was supposed to be there for art history and language. And I lived with a family who made their own wine. And I literally spent that entire time in the cellar with this gentleman who spoke no English. My Italian got better, certainly. But then I learned about wine. I learned about growing wine. I learned about making wine. I learned about bottling wine. I learned about drinking wine. And I spent the entire rest of my time there uh, learning about wine. And that's when I realized I wanted to do something in the wine industry. And that was sort of, that was that was the moment. And then my coffee moment was I was sitting in a bar in the morning on my way to class and I ordered a cappuccino. I had never had anything so delicious in my life. <laughs> and I instantly became a coffee snot mm. and I drink one every morning. I, I make my own cappuccino every morning. I, I steam my milk. I like them on the dry side. I don't like too much milk in them. And I am completely ruined as far as coffee is concerned because it's once you've had really good coffee and that's how you start your coffee journey. Yeah. There's just you can't go down. You can't go. Yeah. There's just <laughs> nothing else. Um, well, thank you guys so much for, for coming thank on. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, let the people know if any final thoughts that you guys have or anything you want to plug as far as um social media, upcoming events, or or things like that. So obviously, yeah, follow us on social media. We you know, we're in the process of building our, our mailing list. So we don't do any emails currently. So everything about our events, um, we post on social media, Stokeland Winery. It's the same on Facebook and Instagram. And obviously our web website, stokelandwinery.com has a list of all of our upcoming events, things that we're adding in the near term, as you heard when you were getting set up, we're looking to add um, Sunday brunch. So we're trying to finalize all the details for that. And we have lots of live music. We currently have live music on Saturdays, but are looking to add it when the weather gets nice outside. Very cool. I like that a yeah. lot. Yeah. So again, trying to find some local musicians to come out and provide some music. So those are some of the things that are coming up are spring fling and wine. So yes. yeah. Very cool. That's We're awesome. We're doing that at the end of April to kind of I guess say hello and welcome to spring and everything that's going to come thereafter. <laughs> so we're going to start it with a party. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Go check it out. Yep. Um, so. Awesome. Well, th thanks again for coming on. Really do appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms, and you'll get notifications whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us, our email address is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram. It's at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Subasinski, and you've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time.